Hello Second Tier listeners, Ryan here. We've had a couple of technical problems on this episode. Justin's mic blew up, but you can still make out what he's saying. It's just not up to the Second Tier usual standards. So apologies about that. You can still make out Justin's nonsensical opinions and what have you. Um, So you can still get all that in this episode where we react to the playoffs and also what it means for Bournemouth and Barnsley still still be in the Championship next season. But we apologise for the technical issues that you experience in this episode. Hopefully you still enjoy it and we're hoping to have it fixed before next Wednesday's episode. But apologies and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the UK at Eurovision to every other country at Eurovision. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon, Ryan. Justin, how the devil are you, sir? Clearly devastated after that mauling in the Eurovision yesterday. (laughs) It was absolutely humiliating. I managed to catch the second half of it after we finished talking about the playoffs yesterday and... It was a bit of a disaster. I'm at the point mm. now where I just think we should just really take the mickey. Because we're never going to do well at Eurovision, are we? Because, let's be honest, we're not the most popular of countries in Europe. No. So we, we may as well just send, I don't know, Alan Us. Sugar on high on life. Send him there <laughs> and just let him dance on stage. I'm pretty sure another... If you, said, if you had Iceland and they sent a man who was farting down a microphone for three minutes... He'd get a higher score than whatever the UK does, so he mm-hmm. may as well just take the Mickey, Justin. Yeah, as I said, send us, send us to just do a live stream, or a, yeah. or a, or a live podcast. There, um, it will give us a bit of coverage. May get some new fans in the championship, and as well as that, we may get at least one point. Who knows? It makes it makes complete and utter sense. But whatever the case, you are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the Second Tier. Thank you for joining us, wherever you are. Of course. We are reacting to what happened in the second legs of the semi-finals of the playoffs. What a day of action. We retreated to two feasts of footballing entertainment. And it sets us up very nicely for the big one. The playoff final on Saturday. Congratulations to Brentford and Swansea. Commiserations to Bournemouth and Barnsley. We look forward to seeing you again next season, of course. On this show, we're going to look back at those two playoff semi-finals. We'll hear from fans of all four teams involved. Talk about where Barnsley and Bournemouth go from here. And then, of course, look ahead to the big game on Saturday away from the playoffs. We'll also have a chat about some of the news from the past few days in the Championship, including transfers, because there's been a few that have happened in the past few days. But, Justin, let's kick off by talking about one of the semi-final second legs. Brentford came from a goal down to beat Bournemouth 3-2 on aggregate in a crazy game at the Brentford (laughs) Community Stadium. It's just mental, wasn't it? No one staying back for a corner in the first five minutes of the game. Rugby tackling goalkeepers, a red card, and this was all in the first 35 minutes. It was one of the most exciting 90 minutes of football I think I've ever seen. It, it really was, and uh, obviously we had the, the Derby Sheffield Wednesday scenario um, on the last day of the season that was also thrilling. 
Um, but this 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 matched it on on every level, and um, just on the the Begovic incident where he rugby tackles or, or tries to rugby tackle Tony, it's now my screensaver on my phone. I've I've got rid of my my lovely border collie, and I've changed it with an angry Asmir Begovic, which is what everybody needs. I think I might do the same. Previously, I had <laughs> the always sunny meme where it is mm-hmm. Mac and Charlie staring at each other. Now I think I might have to change it to angry Begovic, just because that is now my new favourite meme. It is fantastic i mm-hmm. could not stop laughing when i saw that live um let's go through what happens just in chronologically because i think that's the only way we're going to make any sense of what actually happened in this game first off arnott danjuma's goal simply bizarre from a brentford perspective you've mm-hmm. got a corner in the first five minutes of the game you're only a goal down yet they don't have anyone back to defend it it was criminal defending really wasn't it it was absolutely bizarre that that issue happens in the first five minutes of a game first five minutes of any game doesn't matter what game it is whether it's an FA Cup final a Champions League final um, or a, or a mid-season Tuesday night championship game first five minutes you just want to be you just want to calm yourselves into the game and just ease into it and then and then and then go from there and just build build slowly Brentford when absolutely no, we're not doing that. We're gonna we're gonna risk everything. We're gonna send every man up top, and um, we're gonna fall asleep on the counter. And um, they did that. Jensen let Dan Juma through on the after the clearance goes, and then Dan Juma's got the pace to get ahead of Jan Alt. Um, I think it's Macondes and obviously Jensen, and he's one on one with Ray within seconds. It's it was madness. It was criminal. If your Sunday League team did that, and when I say Sunday League team, I'm talking your under 14 Sunday League team, they'd get an absolute throttling after the game. <laughs> um, and it did look like at that point that it might not be Brentford's day, but it didn't take long for the tie to suddenly turn. Ten minutes later, Brentford get a penalty for handball, which I don't think anyone is disputing, apart from Jonathan Woodgate. And sections of the, of the Bournemouth fans. I think we'll go on to Woodgate um once we've cleared the incidents, but it was an incredibly obvious penalty. Um, Lloyd Kelly, I think, is unlucky because it's natural to dive in like that when you're trying to block because it's just momentum shifts. You, your feet go forward, your arms come back, they lift slightly and they're covering his face a little bit. Um, so I do think he was unlucky, but had had his hands not been in the way, the ball would have been in the box, essentially. Um, so, yeah, it was an absolute stonewaller. Not sure what Woodgate's... Uh, what Woodgate's um, smoking after the game to be put bluntly um, because it was so obvious and I thought the referee delayed himself for a couple of seconds had a little bit of a think probably on the on the, on the wire to the, the linesman and yeah they, they came up with a penalty which was the absolute right decision yeah you, you say we'll talk about Woodgate later talk about him now because I after the game <laughs> he, he said the referee he, he has no idea how the referee's given it I can only think he's talking about a different decision because <laughs> it seems like a, a clear handball for me. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of points on, on Woodgate which we'll, we'll, we'll progress through, um, i.e. no game plan. Um, but essentially with the penalty, Woodgate's talking out of his arse. To be put really bluntly, he's just talking out of his arse because he knows that they've come, they, they, have, they have fluffed it. They've thrown away a two-goal lead in this game, in this leg, uh, in the semi-final. And um, he's deflecting on what was a really poor performance and what was a really poor managerial performance, um, which, as I say, there was no game plan when they went down to 10 men. Um, 
he's, he's essentially deflecting. I thought the referee did a terrific job. Actually, I thought the referee could have given another two penalties to Brentford. Um, there was a there was a big old kick on Mark Andes, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my head, but there definitely was, was another Tony. incident. It was Tony wanted. He got brought down by Solanke. Yeah. Um, so there was two more incidents where he could have given into fan pressure in the ground, and he didn't. He stood firm, didn't give them. Fair enough. I thought they were the wrong decisions, but it, it was a, it was a, it was a penalty all day. And as I say, Woodgate's deflecting. He's got he's got previous with talking out of his arse. Some of the quotes from his time at Middlesbrough last season, i.e., the league's upside down. Um, I have no idea what he's what he's talking about. And for me, it's, it's actually angered me. I just I don't think you can berate a referee's performance after your own team performance was so poor. Yeah, I thought Jared Gillett, the referee, actually did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. He uh, Woodgate was making the point that <clears throat> they should have had a penalty for handball at the other end. I don't think that was handball, no. to be no. brutally honest. Um, and the other incidents which you were talking about, I think, were 50-50. You see them given. I don't think the referee would have been blamed if he did give them. I don't think you can blame him too much for not giving them either. It's you know, coin flip, really. Yeah. Let's move on, Justin. Ivan Tony scores the penalty. Asmin Begovic hunts him down producing one of the greatest memes ever. Um, the penalty was a big turning point, wasn't it? But suddenly, after that, Brentford had all the momentum. And then we saw an even bigger turning point at 35 minutes when Chris Meppen was sent off against his former side. Again, no disputing that. Even Mordgate's not disputing that one. When that red card was shown, it was fairly obvious Bournemouth were in a bit of trouble, weren't they? Yeah, the, the, the three key moments. I think Dan Juma scoring so uh, so early was possibly the worst thing Bournemouth could have done um, because it just got Brentford's tails up. Um, the penalty then shifts momentum entirely in Brentford's favour following the goal. Really short period after the goal, so there's a lot of a lot of time for Brentford to get back into the game, uh, and they did that. And 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 players losing their cool as well. Begovic hunting down Tony for the ball was just <laughs> the man's thirty three. 34, he's played for Chelsea, Stoke, AC Milan, he's played in Europe. <clears throat> he's a he's a he's a fully fledged international and he's and he's doing that. That's um keep your head on. Keep your head on. Because he was one of the players that looked to be affected by uh losing the call essentially, because there's a there's an incident where he tried to punch the ball away, collided with Lloyd Kelly, went down and it definitely wasn't a free kick because he went into his own man. So yeah, there was just no cool heads around and that, that showed with the Chris Meppham um Chris Meppen red card as well because he, he he's, he's miscontrol, seeing Embuemo hunt, uh, hunting him down, pressing him, um, and he panicked. Uh, he panicked, or, or he was he was too calm, and then he panicked. I think, um, and then obviously Embuemo nicked it, and he pulls him down. It was it was a stonewaller, but that was just those those error after error after error, and you, the, the tide just went completely in Brentford's favour. Yeah, absolutely. Vitaly Yanelt scored a lovely but strange goal in the second half because he's almost tackled it into the net from 25 yards out. And then the second half was just attack versus defence as Bournemouth tried to hold on to the lead before Marcus Force finally got the winner and great scenes when it finally did go in. It almost seemed obvious the game was going one way after that sending off, Justin, but I did think Brentford did a brilliant job of breaking Bournemouth down and it was also a professional job. You look how they just stretched the pitch every single time they got the ball. Um, I was surprised that, especially in the second half, that Embuemo, um was shifted out onto the wing. Um, but in fact, he was he was my man of the match by by a country mile. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Um, and yeah, his 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 danger. He, he was just so dangerous every time that the switch went to him. There was a period of ten minutes where it was almost every crossfield ball was 
over to Embuemo, um and he and he got the ball in and um it was a it was a game plan that worked entirely and it's what you want to do when you're playing against ten men. You want to make the pitch as wide as possible, pull players out, make them run harder, make them run for, for, for longer, ties teams out and that and and they did that and they handled that um situation calmly and composed, which was completely different to how Bournemouth reacted to to, to going out to ten men. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And Boomer was definitely my man in match as well. He had Diego Rico on toast <laughs> numerous occasions in that second half. I thought Yanel was brilliant as well. Jensen had a great game. It's something we've said a lot over the past couple of weeks, but Brentford play a lot better when their backs are up against the wall as opposed to when they're leading the way. And we've definitely seen that here. From a Bournemouth perspective, I agree with you. I think they really lost their heads. The red cars and just Asmir Begovic in general being particular highlights in that respect. Let's have a chat with the fans of both sides. Joining us now from the Brentford podcast, B Sotted, is a very hungover Billy Grant. Billy, how was Saturday for you? It must have been a bit of a roller coaster. What a day. What a match. What an atmosphere. You can still hear my voice is completely hoarse. Straight after the final whistle on Monday, Beast fans have been getting ready for this match. We wanted to be the 12th man. The question was, would the players be up for it? Bournemouth fans, they made fun of us because we said, look, we're going to have 4,500 fans in the stadium and we're going to make some noise, which is going to really, really push the team on. They said, you know, we've been played, we got results against at Old Trafford and we got results at Highbury, you know, with this Bournemouth team. So, you know, 4,500 Brentford fans ain't going to trouble them. You know, but I'd say that we did. And as for the team, you know, Thomas Frank and the team, they were really up for it. Right from the start, the lap of honour they did pre-match to whip the crowd into a frenzy. You know, the Bournemouth commentators, apparently, they, they mocked us for it. My mate, the Bournemouth fan, he told me they were mocking us, saying we're doing a lap of honour. We weren't. The whole idea is getting us ready for this game. And it really did do the job. I have to admit, when we went behind, truly, I thought it was all over. But that penalty... That we saw light and then Agent Mepham gets sent off and it's game on like I said to you you know we, we, we played them off the park the fact that they were time wasting from the fourth minute says it all and then them two goals Yana and Force Dreamland it was an incredible day and I'm still up there I'm still high yeah of course but Brentford got off to the worst possible start didn't they but what did you think was the big turning point I'm guessing you think it was the red card the sending off was obviously the turning point. Adrian Meppham, he loves the bees. And, and obviously from that game, you can see he still does. You know, holding us off with 11 men was going to be hard for Bournemouth because we were so hungry. But with 10 men, honestly, they had their work cut out. Plus, I don't think, you know, that they had any intention to attack. They just planned to sit on their lead. You could see the way that they were just time-wasting from so early on. So with 10 men, that was a dicey tactic from Woodgate. And also, tell you something, do you see how gracious he was in their press conference? afterwards like you know listen if you lose just be just be just be gracious in loss or you know or in victory but he, he never is and I can't get that with Woodgate but honestly I think we would have beaten them with 11 men you know we were so up for it you know I talked about Thomas Frank's eyes beforehand and I think you know exactly what I'm talking about there was only one team that really wanted it and that was us and look I know I mean, I'm going to be gracious in victory and listen I am I paid the ultimate respect to Bournemouth and their fans and everything in this whole playoff campaign I said they're a very good side but to be honest I don't think that they actually played Brentford much respect and that's why they paid for it on Saturday yeah, one thing that we keep repeating is that Brentford seem to play a lot better when they're chasing games and that has proven to be the case once again right here. Is that a bit of a concern heading into the final? No, not at all. I really think we learned from last season. I was speaking to one of the senior coaching people at Brentford and he said to me, we will learn from this and I think they have done. 
and we're so focused. It's really different to last year. You know, we, we're actually going into this match with our eyes wide open. You know, this is the tenth uh, playoff final I've actually personally been to. I mean, in the pub last year, <laughs> beside the ground against Fulham counts as far as I'm concerned because it's coronavirus. We've lost nine of them, as I say. Swansea are going to be different to, to Bournemouth. <clears throat> they, they play a different game. They don't create very many chances at all during matches. You know, that Barnsley match that they played, they scored from a chance which is rated only one in 20 of them would actually go in the back of the net. And that was the biggest chance of the day. They created very, very little, but they score from it. They've got premium strikers like, you know, IU, Low, and we really have to watch out for them. They've also got some very, very good players and they've got a decent defence. So I pay them ultimate respect and Brentford will do too. Yeah, well, how are you feeling ahead of the final? Because I don't know if you managed to actually watch any of the uh, semi-final yesterday with Swansea, but they look like they're back to the best. So are you a bit concerned? They, they will make it tough for us because, and we don't like teams playing who try to go defensive on us and try to hit us on the break. But after Fulham, losing to Fulham at Wembley last year, which did hurt, Thomas Frank has had a year to work on this. The key is we mustn't do anything silly like, like putting all your players up for a corner when there's 85 minutes plus extra time potentially of a match to play. Like, like Pontus Janssen doing the hokey cokey on the, on the line all the way up the pitch and then giving the ball to the opposition for them to score. If you notice, both the goals that Bournemouth scored came after defensive errors. So if Brent cut them out we're in good shape as, as Swansea as I say don't create a lot of chances listen they're a good team and luckily they've got some good players who could put the ball in the back of the net but we need to stop that but with 10,000 fans in the stadium and hold on I've got to say there's got to be a stewards inquiry as to why 21,000 fans get into the FA Cup final and only 10,000 into the championship final um, is that Premier League bias maybe but anyway 10,000 fans in the stadium the beast fans are going to make a lot of noise so we're going to give it our best shot the fans will be ready I'd like to think the team will be ready but we'll see on Saturday I'm just very proud of how we turn that game around up against Bournemouth and hopefully we'll be able to do it one more time Thank you Billy and from a Bournemouth perspective making his second tier debut what a time to do it is Kirk Tovey from Cherry's Red Army the Bournemouth YouTube channel Kirk commiserations how do you feel after that? Feeling frustrated gutted exhausted it's been a very long season 48th game in the championship and after our first leg victory on Monday we went into this game nervous but still confident and after scoring early we were feeling like it could be our day but decisions didn't quite go our way and the game would change in Brentford's favour yeah, you mentioned decisions not going your way. I'm guessing you mean the penalty and red card, which were both big turning points in the game, weren't they? I'm not sure it's a penalty. The ref gave the decision, but I don't know what Lloyd Kelly's got to do or where he puts his arms. He's gone to block the cross. He's very close to the ball and he's uh, done a natural thing with his hands. But the consistency isn't there because when we go down the other end and put the ball in the box and it comes off Pinnock's hand and his arms aren't down by his side, where's the difference? There is no difference. But unfortunately, we see this time and time again in the game. So that would be 1-1 because Ivan Tony would put that penalty away and then the next big moment would come and that would be the red card for Chris Meppham. When that ball comes to Chris Meppham, what he should have done is taken five steps towards it, made sure the ball doesn't bounce and get rid of it. But what he does do is he lets the ball bounce and that puts him into no man's land. He then has a decision to make to either clear it or take it back to the goalie. He has a look over his shoulder, sees that a Brentford player's breathing down his neck 
Um, but he dwells on the ball and takes too long. And by the time he thinks about playing it back to Begovic, Mbomo's nicked the ball in front of him. Then Chris Meppen makes a split decision to trip him up and it's a straight red. But unfortunately, it shouldn't have got that far and Chris Meppen should have made a better decision whilst the ball was still in the air. But that would be a game changer. Interesting. Well, let's have a look to head to next season, Kirk. It's going to be very interesting to see what state Bournemouth squad is in, isn't it? Because it looks like they're going to have to sell. I'm guessing you think Dan Juma and Brooks will be amongst those leaving? Well, I said at the start of the season we had one shot at this to get back to the Premier League. We only lost three players out of that squad that got relegated, Ake, Ramsdale and Wilson. And if we were to get back to the Premier League, we could regroup again. But unfortunately, there is a good chance that we'll lose quite a significant number of players. You're looking at Adam Smith, who's out of contract, so is Stanislas. We've got players like Wilshere on short-term deals, Carter Vickers is on loan and Roro too. Begovic is on high wages, Lerma's on high wages and Dan Juma, I'm sure, will want Premier League football next season. So a massive task for the football club. We may have to go down the divisions to see if we can find some players that can come into the squad and we may need to look at our youth setup as well. So where we might finish next season is too early to say. Playoffs may be a step too far, but if we can consolidate and rebuild and go again, I'm sure that'll be the club's future plans. Yeah, and the other big thing that needs sorting out is who's going to be the manager? What do you think of Jonathan Woodgate? Do you think he should be given the job again next season? He did steady the ship. He did pick up points and we did have that seven consecutive win streak as well. But we got into the playoffs. He did make some strange decisions today and sometimes he has made some strange decisions on the pitch. Does he stay? It's quite split down the fan base. Some fans want to see him given another contract and another season from start to finish. And some fans want to see a new man come in with a potentially a rebuild required. So we'll have to see what the board do decide. I think we need to go for a new manager, but it all depends who's out there, what is available. And we do know that the club finances are not the best. Thank you, Kirk. And Justin, me and you will have a chat about Bournemouth and what they look like heading into next season in the second half of the show. For now, let's move on to the other semi-final second leg. Swansea are off to Wembley after they beat Barnsley 2-1 on aggregate. Apart from a 15-minute period at the end of the second half, Swansea were very comfortable in this game. In fact, even in that 15-minute period, they weren't particularly panicking, were they? No, it just felt like they were in fourth gear. Um, they still had gears to go through. Just just fourth gear cruising along a, a, a dual carriageway. Although that's not really efficient. Um, but they they didn't they didn't need to. It just didn't feel like they needed to stress or anything. Um, they 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 managed Barnsley really really well. They kept their key players quiet. I think there was a couple of times where Woodrow was picking up pockets of space, but he he was limited in in his in his um, ability to do that. The only real threat that Barnsley were, were 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 creating from was from right wing back with with crosses. Um, that's obviously where the Barnsley goal came from. Other than that, um, I thought Swansea managed the game really well, and I, I think it was a, a tremendous effort. It's probably one of the best, um, one of the most organised displays I've seen this season, if not the most organised. Because when you consider that, Benka Bango's twenty, Mark Gay's twenty one leaders they they played like leaders and it's it's astounding that they're so young but they they played with so much maturity and that's 
that's testament to Steve Cooper putting trust in him as well. Um, and not only that, the midfield battle was won by Swansea. I was, I was saying um, in, in the preview that second balls are so important um, against Barnsley and the midfield uh, sweep them up really, really well. Yeah, Swansea definitely did a number on them, didn't they? It was a Steve Cooper tactical masterclass mm-hmm. yet again. And that's... <clears throat> really been the case over the two legs where Barnsley were easily second best on both occasions fantastic goal for Matt Grimes the quickness of his feet to do the dummy and then lash the ball into the corner was just exceptional wasn't it Justin it was it, oh, I've got hardly any words for it it was the, the fact that the, the Matt Grimes has got to pick up the ball his, t- his first touch has got to be perfect then he's got Callum Styles closing him down so he's then got to roll the ball as soon as he gets past Styles, he's then got to adjust himself to get it onto his left foot and bend it into the corner through bodies. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a fantastic goal, possibly the, uh, the goal of the playoffs. Um, I just that, that that quality was in big moments like that. You need big players to step up, and Matt Grimes did it, and um, the quality he showed in that moment was was top class. Yeah, absolutely. And the the Swansea side that we've seen over these two games. They've looked like the Swansea side we saw in the first half of the season because for the past few months they've been leaky at the back and just not as functional as a unit, but they've been the complete opposite against Barnsley. Mm-hmm. They were massively helped by the centre-back pairing of Mark Gurry and Ben Cabango who were both simply unreal, particularly Gurry who over the course of these two games has put in two of the best individual performances we've seen from a centre-back in the Championship this season. We know Mm. when you come up against Barnsley, the defenders have enormous pressure put on them. They've got to deal with, over the course of the 90 minutes, numerous long balls, and you've got to keep a cool head to deal with it, especially when they're pressing as much as they are as well. And these two dealt with it so well. They were like two experienced veterans, yet they're both 20. Both 20 years old. Whatever happens next Saturday, these two are destined for great things. I can assure you of that because they were absolutely fantastic here and showed that they have got the heads for a fantastic career ahead of them. And we have spoken a lot about Swansea in this section of the show, Justin. Where did Barnsley get it wrong? It's difficult to say. I think um, I think there's a, there's a lot of individual quality at Barnsley um, and there wasn't too many times where it was on show in these games I think Cotton Morris in the first leg in the final 25 minutes I thought he showed what he's he's capable of in terms of running at the Swansea defence and when you're against a defence who are just sweeping up every single long ball just doing everything right you need a bit of individual um, creativity, a bit of ingenuity from from individuals, and there wasn't enough of that. I think the time where there was um, Jordan Williams at right wing back, incredible run from his own half, beats two or three players and squares it to Corley Woodrow. They needed a bit more of that, and um, there just wasn't enough of that at times. I think as well as that set piece deliveries over the course of the two games were really poor. I think that was two two uh, floated in balls uh, in the second leg that were. That were that were met with um, Barnsley men, uh, and that was and that was essentially it over the course of two games, which isn't good enough. When you're against a team like Swansea, you gotta you gotta find every single way of trying to get a goal and set pieces. Barnsley are good at them; they're very good at them. Um, but deliveries, I think, were really poor. So I think those are there are two there are two things there that um, they could have done better in, as well as that key players were, were a bit quiet. Like DK was was non-existent over the two legs, which big games like this you need big players to, to turn up. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Barnsley should have tried to do something a bit different and they just didn't. Um, we were saying that they looked 
well, as you were saying, every time they tried to go forward with the long ball, it just didn't work and it was just being dealt with easily by mm. the two Swansea centre-backs. And I'd have liked to have seen him try to go down the wings a bit more. That's what we saw with Williams for the assist. And yep. that seems to be a better avenue for trying to break down this stubborn Swansea defence. But they just didn't try it enough and they just kept sticking with the style of play that we all know Barnsley are about. And I know quite often that's how they've just progressed this season. I just think this was not the time to just be as stubborn as they were. But yeah, nonetheless, let's talk to the fans of both the sides. Tom Morgan is from Total Swans TV. Tom, how's the head today? The head's doing all right, apart from the fact I'm just trying to get my, my head around the uh, the allocation for the final and the way that it's been done again. But absolutely ecstatic, mate. The boys were being absolutely superb through the, the both semi-final legs. Um, I thought we played a, a fantastic tactical game through both, took the lead in both, tried to hold on to it for as long as possible. Um, didn't really think Barnsley offered too much in, in you know dangerous opportunities in front of goal. Freddie Woodman had less to do yesterday than what he had to do in the first leg, um, and we don't know what what you know what he's capable of doing. The defence was solid again. Um, I'm just ecstatic, mate. Honestly, I, yesterday I was quite emotional to be honest because it's been so shit not being at at football um, for so long. I was unfortunate not to get a, get a ticket for yesterday's game. Um, buzz in, mate. Really, really hopeful I can try and get a ticket for the uh, for the final. Of course, well, hopefully you do, Tom. Looking back at the game, I thought it was a brilliantly played game by Steve Cooper once again. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. I think he got it spot on in both legs. Um, both games were tactically perfect, I think, from, from Steve Cooper. Obviously, it was unfortunate to concede an equalising goal yesterday and have a really nervy 20 minutes. Um, and I, I'd say that's probably only the sort of threat that Barnsley offered us during the game. Uh, Cooper managed both legs really, really well. As I say, he went with Wayne Routledge yesterday over sooner than uh, than probably planned. Um, but yeah, C- Cooper got it nailed on. Um, defensively, again, we were, were absolutely solid. Um, the four at the back have been superb all season, whether it's Cooper. He deserves an awful lot of praise uh, for getting us this far, getting us to the playoffs two seasons in a row. And now we're off to Wembley. There's a brilliant video from after the game of Mark Gurhey, the Swansea defender, humbly saying in an interview that he didn't think he deserved man of the match. I mean, he's entitled to his opinion, Tom, but I'm going to disagree with him here because I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Probably the most genuine man of the match acceptance award I think I've ever seen. Um, and him and Cabango at the back, 20 years old each. They, they've just been another level um, for majority of the season. And Guy, he himself, what a player. I'm so glad we got him back this season on loan. Um, and, you know, if we go up, uh, God knows what Chelsea's plans are for him. But please let us have him again, just in a permanent basis or another loan basis. The guy is going to be a top level centre back in the country. Um, he's going to be one of the best in the league. And no doubt in a year or so, maybe you'll get a call up for, for an international cap. He deserves it. Um, he's got a great head on his shoulders. He's He's just tactically aware of everything. He knows where to be at the right time. The, the the double sort of tackles he was making yesterday were just incredible. Uh, 100% aerial duels won against Barnsley. The, the guy's been absolutely unreal this season. He's been an absolute rock at the back. And, you know, we absolutely love him as a fan base. And we'd love to continue having him as a servant to the club. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, let's look ahead to the final. Brentford versus Swansea. How are you feeling? What are you thinking heading into the game next week? I'm really excited, mate. Um, neither team has beaten each other this season. Both games have been a draw. 
you know, at their place and our place, it's time for a neutral ground and there's got to be a winner. So, you know, Brentford, big occasions, they've sort of not been able to cope with the pressure of it. Uh, and I really hope that that will uh, play its play its course in, in the final as well. Um, I am excited for it. I'm, I'm confident, that's for sure. Um, I really want, like I said in the in the preview for the semi-finals, I really want to wipe that smug look off of Thomas Frank's face. Um, I don't think there's many many fans in the EFL Championship who who really like that guy. Um, but it's going to be a very tough game, really really hard fought game. Um, Cooper's going to get his tactic spot on again. I probably would go with the same sort of lineup we've had in the last two games. Um, obviously, Routledge probably won't feature, so Kellen will probably start, but. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be really, really exciting. And, and uh, it's 90 minutes. It's the playoffs are a lottery. I'm feeling confident. I really am. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a difficult fourth game for both sides for definite. Cheers, Tom. Now for a Barnsley perspective, here's Carlo van der Rotering from the Barnsley podcast Reds Reports. Carlo, Barnsley have achieved so much this season, but this seemed to be just a step too far. I think not just for me, but for the whole of Barnsley, there's an immense sense of pride that a team that's well run that have done so well it was always going to take something um, special I suppose after the after the first leg you know t- to be able to book that ticket to Wembley and you know it was a, a moment of brilliance again from Swansea but I think Barnsley showed that when they're on it they're a team to be reckoned with and there won't be a post-mortem needed of what went wrong because we we, we overachieved and we played football the only way Valerian Ismail wants to play it. And I think that was a really good advert for a championship um, semi-final. So, um, yeah, you want to win every football match. But actually, everybody's enormously proud of what that club or our club has achieved. Yeah, looking at the game over the two legs, do you think Swansea just did a job on Barnsley? I think it's two ways. I think, yeah, I think Swansea set up in a way to sort of stop Barnsley playing the Barnsley way. I think you have to say that in, you know, positions all over the pitch, they had, um, they had match winners. I mean, Ayu, Hurehan, central defence. And I think for Barnsley, what comes out of it that is to compete and, and to really go that next step, I think... Um, we, we, we need to look at maybe, you know, the strikers we've got and, and the service that they are getting. Um, but... I, I can't really put it down saying Barnsley weren't good enough or, or Swansea did a job. I think, you know, we, we had chances. Um, maybe the occasion, you know, fans being in, in, in the Liberty Stadium. Um, but there, there's no big post-mortem needed. Um, Swansea had had two moments of, of brilliance. I mean, a fantastic goal by Woodrow, but Swansea, um, you know, only needed one opportunity to score and by the looks of it over these last two legs Barsley needed six or seven before one went in and I think that was the difference between the two sides Well let's look ahead to next season then Carlo Um, when a side like Barnsley does very well quite often we see teams get taken apart with the vultures you know circling around some of the best players do you think that'll be the case what state do you see the squad being in next season? 
Well, we know Alex Bowett is, is out of contract, um, and it, I think it's very doubtful that he'll he'll, he'll sign anything. He's, he's 26, and in fairness, you know, he deserves to go to a club that will pay him a little bit more, I think, as he starts to look at the tail end of his career. Um, but he's been an amazing servant, so, you know, Mowat will go. Yes, there will. I mean, Daryl DK, will Barnsley go in for him, um, not having, you know, Premier League money behind him? That remains to be seen. Um, it, don't get me wrong, it would be a coup if they did. Um... There will be players leaving, probably, you know, like you say, players go into the shop window when you play well. Um, but the retain list, everybody's staying, so they're all under contract, which is great. And you have to have some trust in the recruitment system that brought them to the club in the first place. When Jacob Brown left, the, the fans went in meltdown um, until they saw Callum Britton play, and we forgot all about it. So you have to have trust that if anybody does go our recruitment system will pick somebody up that will slot in that position. Um, but the main person that needs to stay is, of course, Valerian Ismail. And you lead me very nicely on to my final question, Carlo. Valerian Ismail, is it as simple a case as if Valerian Ismail does stay, Barnsley could have a decent chance of having a crack at the top six again next season. But if he doesn't, where does that leave Barnsley? I think every single Barnsley fan wants Valerian Ismail to stay. You know, he is under contract, but of course he's already been linked with, with other positions, with, with clubs in higher divisions. Um, he, it's, it, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because he's done so well. If he stays, the expectation will be, you know, top 10 playoffs. Um, yeah, you have to think as well, since he's been at the club, there's only been one transfer window. So Liam Kitchen, who made, has made a couple of substitute appearances because of injury, Morris and DK are the only two signings that he's had anything sort of to do with. You know, I'd, I'd love to see him have that full season. Um, but if he doesn't, again, you know, Standel, Struber, Ismail, there is a recruitment system that identifies these managers that seem to do really well with our style of play. So I don't want him to go. I want him to stay. I want him to have another season. I want him to have another crack at it. I want him to take us up to the Premier League. Um but if he doesn't, then you have to have faith that somebody else will brought in because it's the previous two managers have done really, really well as well, haven't they? Uh, but it's not something I want to think about at the moment. I'd like to see him in the dugout because I still have not seen him at Oakwell in the flash as I uh, missed out on the ballot for the home leg against Swansea. Thank you, Carlo. Let's have a break, listener. After that, we'll talk about what losing in the playoffs means for Bournemouth and Barnsley. And we'll also have a look ahead to the final. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Justin, let's have a chat about what missing out on promotion means for Bournemouth and Barnsley. So... I think we'll talk about Bournemouth first because I think the one team who needed promotion the most out of these four teams was Bournemouth and that's purely because 
of the financial side of things. Yep, they've got a lot of high earners at the club. Um, they wouldn't necessarily be under a lot of pressure to sell um, because of parachute payments, but um, those high earners, uh, they're going to stick around for another season. Um, revenue is going to drop a little bit more. Bournemouth aren't one of the higher earning teams in, ter- in terms of match day income, um, so they don't have that to fall back on. So yeah, they will be under pressure to sell, especially because I think it's not, it's not necessarily the final side of it, but it's also... Big players like David Brooks, Dan Juma, um, Solanke, are they going to want to stick around for another season in the Championship under, well, they don't know who the manager is going to be next season. Do they want a bit of certainty? Um, do they want to play top flight football? I'm sure they do. Um, so I think it'd be I think it'd be unfair to to expect them to, to stay around for another year after they've given it absolutely everything this season. And we're unfortunately a bit short for, for promotion so yeah I think I think Premier League clubs top flight clubs anywhere in Europe are going to come knocking for those for those big players because again they're not going to want to stick around for another season in Championship We it's very rarely they do apart from Andre well it's it's interesting isn't it because they definitely need to sell um, I don't think there's any doubt in that it's just about how much they need to sell I'll be extremely surprised if Dan Juma and David Brooks are still there next season mm-hmm. they'll be used to raise money Thing is, they won't be able to command as much money as they might like. I mean, last summer they were asking for fifty million for Brooks, but that won't happen now. However, sixty million for the pair of them—it's not bad going, is it? And they've also got a few high earners who are out of contract: Asmir Begovic, Cook, uh, Steve Cook, that is, Adam Smith, Jack Wilshere, and Stanislas. Stanislas Begovic won't be staying because he's on a ridiculous wage at championship mm-hmm. level. The others might stay depending on who leaves. It all depends on how much they need to sell. And the only people who know that is Bournemouth. If they manage to raise 60 million and get rid of a couple of high earners, plus the parachute payments, of course, it might be just enough to keep their heads above the water. Uh, maybe, but just naming the out of contract players there, Potentially a massive rebuilding job at uh, at Bournemouth next season, and these are key players as well. Begovic has probably been in the top five performing goalkeepers this season. Adam Smith, experience, been the first choice right back. Steve Cook, captain, uh, and then you move up the pitch to the likes of um, Brooks and Dan Juma, who are two of the most or two of the best wide players in the league. Maybe Solanke, who's again one of the best ones in the league. This is this is a, a big rebuilding job potentially for Bournemouth. They're not going to want to sell those big players, but again, are they going to want to stick around for another season? And then they've got the players that are out of contract. They've got to try and convince them to stay. Yeah, it's it's um it's a it's a a summer of looking over your shoulder if you're a Bournemouth fan because you don't know who they're going to bring in. Recruitment's got to be spot on, um, and they've got to get a manager in place to to lead that as well. So it's it's it really is a a, a really strange time I think for, to be a Bournemouth fan because there's a lot going on in the next couple of weeks. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It, I keep saying this, but it is just mainly dependent on how much they need to sell. We saw in last summer, they only brought in one player, didn't they? And that was Rodrigo Riquelme on loan. So mm-hmm. that was a sign that they're very much looking at the squad and saying, right, we can keep hold of these players for maybe one season and mm-hmm. we need to try and go for broke this season. It's not happened. So now... Are they going to be able to keep hold of the likes of Solanke and Lloyd Kelly, who I would say would be the next most sellable assets in that Bournemouth squad? Because apart from that, apart from Dan Juma, Brooks, Solanke and Kelly, I don't think there are actually that many other sellable assets in this Bournemouth squad. So 
it, it, it's a tricky time for Bournemouth and they have got a massive rebuilding job to do. Um, so with all this being said, I still think they have got a decent squad because they're not going to get rid of all the players, are we? It's just certain areas where they're just lacking a bit of quality. Uh, the yeah. other big question, as you mentioned there, is the managerial situation. Jonathan Mudgate's only got the job until the end of the season. What do you think, Justin? Has he done <laughs> enough to keep the job? I'd have said before um, the playoffs, yes. Um, but they had that really poor run at uh, three games. They lost on the spin. Um, in the last three games of the season, lost on the spin, didn't create any chances in that time. I think they had like eight shots across those ga- across those three games with the attacking talent Bournemouth have. It's not good enough. Um, and the the playoff second, the playoff semi final second leg um, solidified my opinion that that Woodgate isn't the man. And I've probably been fairer to Woodgate than you have this season um, on the balance of things. I've 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 wanted to give him a chance, but at no point was there any any sort of crumb of a game plan once they went down to 10 men against Brentford. Steve Cooper, on the other hand, I think would have been able to, to handle that. In fact, in fact, I think Bournemouth were just relying on on, on, on breaking, uh, on counter-attacking Brentford in that second leg um, because they knew there would be opportunities. But as soon as a man gets sent off um, and Solanke, Solanke was taken off, I thought Solanke was their best attacking player when they went down to 10 men. Dan Juma was, I don't think he touched the ball in the final 30, 35 minutes. Just, just odd decisions, uh, and I know injuries haven't helped. But for me, they need someone who um, can start a new project. And I don't think Woodgate's the man. I think he, I think he's, he, he displayed his um, abilities poorly, shall we say, in the second leg. Mm. I've got two answers to this question. Do I think he should get the job? No. He's done better than I was expecting him to do in the time that he's been there, but. I will always caveat that with this Bournemouth squad is ridiculously good, so it's difficult mm. to give him too much praise. I think we've also seen his lack of experience cost them at some points. Taking off Solanke, as you say, yesterday on Saturday was a particularly odd move. And the other thing is, I think there are better managers out there. Chris Wilder is the standout name for me. Alex Neal is another name off the top mm. of my head who I think will be better suited for the job. But, and it's a big but, I think he will get the job. I get the feeling the Bournemouth hierarchy are fairly happy with him. They've never been the kinds to bring about massive upheaval. Mm. So having said what we were saying a minute ago about the playing squad, how that might have to um, be dug up a bit, then I, I fear that he may still get the job. I'm 70-30 expecting him to still be there next season personally. Yeah, just just one more point as well. We interviewed uh, the technical director David Webb um, earlier on in the season. It must have been October, November when the when the episode came out. Um, if you want sort of a bit of background on Bournemouth and their recruitment, go back to that episode because David Webb talks in depth because he was the head of recruitment at Bournemouth for a while back when the project first project started under Eddie Howe in like 2012, 2013. Um, and he gives a, a bit of insight into how they built the squad. Um, they need something like that again, and uh, as far as I'm aware. There is not that type of structure at Bournemouth there at the moment. Um, and as I say, they need that sort of structure again because it's a rebuilding job now. No, they haven't gone up. Mm. I suppose the final point on Bournemouth, Justin, is what do you think their expectations will be next season? Should it still be promotion? I think it I think it will still be promotion. I think this it, actually frustrates me. I think any club um, with a semi-decent squad will, will, will aim for the playoffs, even though it's not tangible at all. I think Derby will still be going, oh, we'll get the playoffs. You're not going to get the playoffs. Teams like that. Um, so I think Bournemouth will still be aiming for the playoffs, but it just depends who's there, who's the manager and who they replace. Because if they get that wrong, they're, they're 
we're going to fall to mid-table or lower for me. Mm. Well, let's move on to Barnsley. We all know how much of a massive achievement it is for them to get this close to promotion. This is a season that everyone associated with the club can look back on with pride. And I imagine quite a few people will expect next season to be nothing like this one. But I think they could definitely go again. What do you think? I think they can. Um, I, I trust the process at, at Barnsley. I trust um, their recruitment. I trust the, the manager in Ishmael. I trust that a pre-season under Ishmael. Um, I think, because I think what they what the type of football they play now, I don't think that's what they want to do in the long term under Ishmael. I think they want to adapt it. You've got to bear in mind, I think there's been one two-week period where Ishmael's had time to work on the training ground in, in what he wants to play, which was the international break in March. That's the only time he's really had the opportunity to to work his methods in. So I think a pre-season under him and um, replacing key players who inevitably will go. I don't think DK will, will be back next season. I think Alex Mal will leave when his contract expires. So once those players are replaced, um, and I, I trust Barnsley will do it because they found Carlton Morris who couldn't score for MK Dons. He's been one of the, the um, most prudent players in the in the final sort of half of the season. Yeah, I, I trust them a lot and I think they, they can be in and around the top 10. Um, I think they'll try and aim for being in and around the top 10 and however close they are to the playoffs um, will determine as to maybe who they bring in in January or where they go from there because they can definitely build momentum and they've got the opportunity to do it because they've got a nice young squad as well. Yeah, well Alex Mowat's definitely leaving, isn't he? And I'll be very surprised if Darrell DK's there as well. But anyone who's thinking this Bournemouth at Barnsley squad is going to be taken apart... I would say they're probably going to be wrong because I don't think too many others will go. And when a side like Barnsley have a season like this, um, that is usually the case, but I don't think it will be on this occasion. And they've shown that they're more than capable of bringing in the right players for Mm -hmm. a minimal amount of money who suit the system. And I think they'll more than likely do that again here. The big question is obviously whether Valerie Ishmael stays or not. If he does, then... I see no reason why Barnsley can't have another crack at the playoffs next season. Um, Let's go on to the final then, Justin. We now know it's going to be Brentford or Swansea who will be departing us and getting promoted to the Premier League this season. In a way, I think it is only right that these two are in the playoffs because both have been chasing automatic promotion for the vast majority Mm. of the season. And now it's a straight shootout to decide who's going up. It's going to be... um... It's going to be an interesting game as to how each team approaches it because I think the longer the game stays nil-nil, the more Brentford will struggle. Um, we saw that in the playoff final last season against Fulham. Got to the 118th minute and Joe Bryan hits that weird free kick that eludes everybody. Uh, and obviously they, they score a second late on. Um, so I think the longer the game stays nil-nil, the more it suits Steve Cooper and Swansea. Um, so did Brentford go, did they approach the game the same way they approached this Bournemouth game? They've got to have a big pair of cojones to do it because in a final to do that massive massive game where everything's up, everything is up for grabs um you've got to you've got to have the, the the cojones to do it and i think frank will change his approach i think he will go that way because as i say the longer the game stays nil stays nil nil the longer swansea um will be well the title turn in swansea's favor for me well only two of the last eight playoff finals have featured more than one goal in normal time and with the two teams we've got involved here I'll be very surprised if that's any different this time around the playoffs nowadays are all about who keeps the nerve aren't they and Mm. 
They're not particularly the most exciting games in terms of the quality of football, but the pure drama more than makes up for it. And the fact these two are both drawn on both times they've met this season Mm. makes me think that this game will go to extra time and will be really drawn out and it'll be a case of who blinks first. Um, But of course, someone's got to get promoted. Whatever happens, Justin, who are you fancying? It's so so difficult to, to say, but... I have to say that I fancy Steve Cooper and Swansea to do it. Um, and I say that because they're made for this type of thing. I think Steve Cooper's made for this type of thing. He's, he's made to... He, he's, his coaching career has been developed through um, through tournament football, through approaching tournaments in, 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 in the manner that they are. Uh, and as well as that, they've got the discipline to, to do it. They've got the organis- organisation to do it. Um, as we've seen over the two legs in the playoff semi-finals, uh, and I think they because they are more organised, because they are more disciplined, I think that edges them in a final. Um, so yeah, I have to. It's like Jose Mourinho, isn't it? Yeah, how he plays defensive football, but he thinks he's only lost two finals in his whole career, and I think that that type of football favours the playoffs. So I think Steve Cooper and Swansea might might just edge it. Might go to penalties, I think though. Well, initially I was convinced Brentford were going to win the whole thing, but Swansea impressed me so much in the two semi-final games that it's led me questioning that because if Swansea play like how they have done in the two legs of the semi-finals I think they'll win they've played like the Swansea side which we saw in the first half of the season you know organised and a brick wall at the back Mm. and they also had calm heads all over the pitch and I do think that is crucial in the playoffs I am going to stick to my guns and say Brentford though I'm thinking They'll have learnt from what happened in the final last season and they can finally get promoted. They've been knocking on the door of the Premier League for quite some time. The doorbell isn't working, so they're giving the letterbox flap, you know, a little tap. They're peering through the windows to see if anyone's home. Eventually, the Premier League has got to answer the door because Brentford aren't going to leave. And I think this might finally be the time where Brentford get the job done. Otherwise, we'll be having this exact same discussion in a year's time Justin so I think it's got to happen at some point you might have swayed me with that analogy I I don't know how you've done it but you might have swayed me with it it's just so well thought out I think you're right well played it's it's so tight it it, it is honestly so tight and it's it it is a bit of a coin flip it's getting that Mm -hmm. way and by the time it gets to Saturday I, I might have changed my thought process completely but That's the playoff final. It's going to be one hell of an intriguing game. Justin, let's take a break from the playoff chat because now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Justin, we start off with some bad news. We're not getting Sam Allardyce in the championship next season. He's stepping down. (laughs) He's stepping down as West Brom manager. It's not particularly surprising, really, is it? I'm I'm absolutely delighted at that thought because um, I don't like Sam Allardyce one bit. Um, I've I've got such a beam of bonnet about him, Um, and I think his his post match interview um, where it was announced. I can't remember, it was earlier this week, well, I can't remember who they played against, but uh, it was West Ham, wasn't it? West because Ham, he yeah. criticised Antonio for saying he plays long ball into the channels. And you do, Sam Allardyce, you, you do play long ball into the channels. Um, you, if you don't think that, you're, you're, you're a madman. Um, yeah, I, I'm absolutely delighted he's not in the Championship because for me, he's, I don't like his character at all. I've got no reason as to say why. I just He's just not a, a man who's very likeable for me. 
but Justin, it would have provided great content. And that's all that we're about here on the second yeah. team. And I thought Sam Allardyce in the championship with this West Brom squad would have been a very strong combination in the second tier, but unfortunately it's not to be. And attention now turns to who's going to replace him. Chris Wilder is the heavy favourite. Your thoughts on that? Um, It would be a great appointment. Um, It absolutely would. It just depends whether Chris Wilder's ready to to get back into football because he he left Sheffield United in March, April time. He might want a break. It's been quite a tough, tough sort of, 12 13 months for him and Sheffield United. Um so yeah he might he might want a break it might be too soon for him to come back in. Bournemouth as well that job's available that might because that's a, that's a project where it's just starting to it's a new project starting from the very the, the ground up so he might want he might fancy that over West Brom but it's a very good West Brom squad coming down into the championship I think any manager worth a salt would be interested in it. I think Lampard's been linked as well so yeah, there's there's quite a few quite a few names popping up, isn't there? Well, Lampard's been linked, Steve Cooper's been linked. Mm. It's gonna be interesting to see who actually does get that job because as you say, it's a very talented West Brom squad and with the right man in charge, um they'll be looking to get promoted automatically uh, next season. Uh, from what I've been seeing from reports, they're not looking to get someone who's in a job at the moment so that might give us a bit of an inkling towards uh, mm. which way they're going to go uh, let's just quickly get it, get this out of the way Justin has Derby's takeover been complete yet? It's been squashed again so there's a new one on the horizon Yeah, who knows anymore Brentford and Swansea fans will only get 3,951 tickets each for the playoff final it comes just two weeks after the FA Cup final when more than 20,000 spectators were allowed in including more than 12,000 Chelsea and Leicester fans so 6,000 for each team Um, doesn't really make sense to me that one I'm not sure why it's the case and Brentford and Swansea fans are understandably not too pleased about it just in transfer news now Jordan Rhodes has rejoined Huddersfield. It's after his contract at Wednesday expired. There's something that really gets me excited when players return to the club that they were so successful at earlier in their career, and this is a perfect case of that happening. It is. It's it's romantic, isn't it? You want him to do well. Um, it's a, it's a top top signing because as we saw glimpses of Jordan Rhodes of old in the last sort of couple of months of the season for Sheffield Wednesday. So if they get that. If they can, if they can get that out of him, then there's a there's a guy there who's going to get double figures for the for you this season. But it's a risk. It's a big risk. Yeah, my heart says I love this move. My head has got quite a few concerns. Yeah. First off, he's been given a three year contract, which mm. seems a bit mental for a man who's 31 and has only scored 24 goals in his last five seasons. And it's got to be pointed out he was on 20 grand a week at Wednesday. He won't be on that much at Huddersfield, but I'm hoping and praying that it's a massive pay cut that he's taken. Otherwise, his agent has played an absolute blinder. I'm also a bit confused about it from the tactical side of things because Huddersfield have been all about pressing this season. Jordan Rhodes isn't really that kind of striker. And he's also had his best spells up front alongside another striker. And Carlos Corbran hasn't really played with two up front much this season. So... I really want this move to work. I'm just not entirely sure it will. But having said that, Jordan Rhodes has looked like it's the mental side of his game, which is Mm -hmm. the reason why he's not progressed that much. And being back at, you know, the place where he made his name, 
you know, might bring out the best of him. Let's hope and see. Um, Huddersfield have also signed Matty Pearson from Luton, which doesn't look too bad a signing. Speaking of free agent strikers making odd moves, Ashley Fletcher joining Watford. Now, this signing hasn't actually been confirmed yet at the time of recording, but by many accounts, it seems to be <coughs> mighty close. What, what do you think of this one, Justin? Um, I think his agents played a blinder. Uh, I think we've been. I think we've we've discussed in the past that if Ashley Fletcher was at a club like I don't know Preston or where he's, where he was the main man, I think they'd get goals out of him. Um, his fitness record is, is sketchy. He's barely played this season for Borough. I'm sure if he was fit all season, he'd still be at Borough. Um, and as well as that, I'm sure if he was fit all season, Borough would be much closer to the playoffs because he's shown in the last uh, season and a half that he can score goals. Um, so yeah, it's it's a surprising one, especially from a Watford perspective, because they've got the likes of João Pedro, Andre Gray, Troy Deeney. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a couple there. They've got Isaac Success as well. There's some top top players there. Whether or not, um, well, I mean, he will be a backup striker. He's not going to get in front of João Pedro, for example. I think João Pedro is a better player. Um, Troy Deeney might be on his his way down in terms of his career uh, or you know he might be winding down and Andre Gray hasn't been overly prolific so yeah it's just a strange one it's just a really really is a strange one I, I'm struggling to put my finger on it but he might prove us wrong he's proved us wrong in the past so go, go on son yeah look I, I rate Ashley Fletcher I think a championship club who needs a striker he would have been a great pickup on a free and he has the potential to be a great goal scorer at this level I was just a bit surprised to see him go to Watford but as a backup striker He's not a bad option in the mm. Premier League. Only thing I would say from a Watford perspective is, as you quite rightly say, they have got a lot of strikers next season who I would say are backups in the Prem. I don't think João Pedro is ready to play week in, week out. And no. then they've also got Gray and Deaning. And it's also worth pointing out, Fletcher's apparently, this hasn't been confirmed yet, apparently getting a five-year contract, which seems bold. <laughs> To say the very least. Um, let's move on to another free agent striker who's moved. Luton's uh, former forward man, James Collins, has signed for Cardiff after his contract expired at Kenilworth Road. Thoughts on that one, Justin? I'm really impressed with it. I think Mick McCarthy's is going to go back to his, his Wolves blueprint. You know, where it's just wide players getting crosses in. Keith Moore's going to get goals next season. Um, and to have someone like James Collins, who is a workhorse first and foremost, he will press and press and press and press and press. He won't stop running. Um, and he's not a bad finisher. Um, he could have been a little bit more prolific for Luton this season, but Luton aren't, aren't a side who create too many chances. Cardiff will undou- undoubtedly create more. Um, so I think it's a good signing for, for Cardiff. And I think that might see Glatzel move on. Um, they've got Max Watters as well, who, who will be a, a tidy backup. So... Yeah, I think we're going to see a bit of a bit of Wolves in the the 09, no the 08 09 season where they blitz the league. Um, I think we're going to see a bit of that for Cardiff next season. It's going to be interesting to see how he fits into the squad, whether he is a backup or whether Mick McCarthy is planning to go two up top next season. But Collins, I think, is a decent pickup for Cardiff. QPR have signed Sam Field on a permanent deal from West Brom. Another good move. Wednesday have released a lot of experienced championship players. <laughs> Kadeem Harris, Elias Kachunga, Tom Lees, Moses Adabaju, Adam Reach, Jordan Rhodes, obviously gone to Huddersfield now, and Kieran Westwood. Anyone who stands out there for you, Justin? Um, maybe Kadeem Harris I think he can still do a job at championship level um, not necessarily as, a, as, a, as the main man out, out wide but I think he can still still do a job um, maybe, maybe Adam Reach um, but that, there are question marks there I think there's just a lot of players who 
from a championship perspective, have probably seen their best days be behind them. Um, probably will start to drop down the leagues now. Well, Adam Reach is still mid twenties, mid to late twenties, isn't he? And I think he's twenty eight. I think he's twenty eight. Older than I thought he was, but he's in his prime years. And I think it was only mm. two seasons ago when they're on about him going to the Premier League for like seven or eight million. So it's mental to see him now be released and be a free agent from Wednesday. And I do think it would be a decent pickup for a championship side. Maybe starting each week as well. I think he, he could be definitely a decent pickup for someone. It'll, it'll be interesting to see where quite a few of these players go because they've been at championship level for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, final bits of news. Former QPR Academy player Kyan Prince is being added to FIFA 21 as a player. He was 15 when he was fatally stabbed in 2006 while trying to break up a fight. That's a nice story. And we'll finish off with another nice story. Sol Bamba is cancer-free. The Cardiff defender was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma in December, but has now successfully defeated it. Well done, Sol. Good news all round for everyone. Justin, let's do some polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listener three questions on Twitter where we want to get their input. So the first question that we asked was, who's winning the playoffs, Brentford or Swansea? What did you say, Justin? I edged with Swansea. 70% said Brentford. So quite one-sided, that one, surprisingly. Uh, 30% said Swansea. Who will finish higher in the championship next season, Barnsley or Bournemouth? Barnsley. Do you think? think? Barnsley will. I think so, yeah. I think it's too big a job at Bournemouth. Well, the vast majority of people disagree with you. 76% say Bournemouth, and then 24% said Barnsley. I'm going to side with you, I think. I think Barnsley will be able to go again for the playoffs next season not sure what state Bournemouth are going to be in and finally who will get more points next season Derby or the UK at Eurovision (laughs) Um, everyone hates the UK so I'm going to say Derby but everybody hates the UK so I'm not surprised if it's going to be single figures again got to remember Derby could have a points deduction (laughs) starting on minus minus 32 (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good point well, I still edge towards Derby though. Uh, 69% said the UK at Eurovision, 31% said Derby. <laughs> so there you go. Right now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But Justin, you've got no teammates. What's going on here? That's because, Justin, I thought we'd do a Hateful Eight this week where it's just you. Because if you are a true championship expert, I'd expect you to get this right. Just before we get into the game, if you are new to the show, this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Usually what happens is we give Justin and two guests a question, which they have to name eight of. So, for example, if I would say, name the first eight teams in the championship alphabetically, we'd go around and if they get one wrong, they'd be out. And we keep going until they name all eight. And they've all got to try and survive, of course. But Justin, because it's just you, you've got to try and name all of these without getting one wrong. I'm feeling incredibly rotten. Well, Simon Grayson's feeling incredibly rotten today. Um, Justin, can you name for me the last eight teams to win the championship playoffs? If a team has won the playoffs twice in the last few years, then that counts as just one. Okay? All right. Go on then. Do you reckon you can do this in order? Why not? Why not? Go on then. (laughs) So, Justin, who's the first one? Fulham. 
yes, of course, they won it last season and won it three seasons ago. So that only counts as one, Justin. Um, who's next? Villa. Yeah, they won it the season before last, of course, beating Derby. Next one. We're back at Fulham. Yep, that that counts as one. So oh, sorry. Yeah, it helps to do it in my head. Um, <laughs> and then we're down to this. Oh, crap. oh this ain't a good start. Head. You're only on third no. one. We're on. No, I'm trying to get the fourth. You, you, you um, don't. You don't have to do it in order if you don't want to. No, I think it helps to do it in order. Um, so we've got seventeen, eighteen, which was which was Fulham, and we're down to sixteen, seventeen, which was Norwich. It wasn't Norwich, but Norwich have won in the playoffs. So that counts as your answer. Um, so you've got three down. You've got five to go. Crap. Yeah, Nor- um, Norwich won in 2015 for anyone who's trying to do it in order. Oh, no. Just name a random team. Name a random team who's won the playoffs recently. Um, it's the last eight seasons. I'm going to... What's the What's the first year you're starting with? 2012 because obviously 2012 okay so the 2012 season was um oh i think it was west ham yes west ham west ham beat blackpool 2-1 in 2012 so you halfway there justin 12-13 was palace yep that was when they beat watford in extra time in 2013 next one 13-14 was qpr yep you're doing it the other way around (laughs) i'm gonna get to that last one you've got two left and they're both 2016 and 2017. Um, 14, 15 was Norwich, which I've said. Already done. Yep. Two 15, more. 16 was Hull. Yep. They beat Wednesday 1-0 in 2016. So who won in 2017, Justin? I don't know. <laughs> um, you, you are frozen. Uh, see, I have to think back. Um, I'm going to give you five seconds. No, 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 no. Give me, give me longer. Um, so it's the sixteen seventeen season, isn't it? Yes. So um, there was, there was a, there was <laughs> five, five seconds, five, four, three, two. Oh, it's Huddersfield. Yes, of course, it's Huddersfield. <laughs> they beat Reading oh, on penalties God. in twenty seventeen. The countdown made you pull it out the bag there. It's, it's such a forgettable final. Really Which is was. why it was so hard, but yeah, they beat Reading on penalties. Yes, they absolutely did. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Your championship expert, Justin Peach, proving his credentials there when the pressure was well and truly on. Congratulations, Justin. How do you feel? Um, I'm actually really pleased with that because that it's very hard to think back. And because the double ones didn't count, it completely screwed my momentum. So thanks for that. <laughs> no worries. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. So thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. Our next episode will be on Wednesday. And it's the big one, ladies and gents. It's the Second Tier Awards. Player of the Season, Manager of the Season, Young Player of the Season, Team of the Season. When I say Team of the Season, it means where we'll go through our best players in each position from this season. Most Improved Player, all of that, all of your Of The Season Awards. We'll be delivering them on Wednesday. I can't bloody wait. And you should be eagerly waiting for that to be dropping down into your podcast's subscriptions. Uh, Our next episode after that will be on Sunday when we react to the playoff final, of course. We're also doing another live stream on Twitter, 
YouTube, Twitch, where we'll be watching the playoff final between Brentford and Swansea. So if you can join us then, we'd be extremely grateful. As always, congratulations again to Brentford and Swansea. We look forward to the playoff final on Saturday. And that's where all our attentions turn now, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.